This is show for grown-ups. And they say bad words. And they say bad words. Say final warning. Final warning. Welcome to the Pod of Blunders. I am here with game designer Melody Wheeler of Mother Multiverse Media. Melody, Hi. how the hell are you? Uh, I'm doing okay today. I'm, I'm feeling. I'm feeling up. I'm feeling pretty. I was. I'm pretty excited to sit and talk about games and stuff. Awesome. I am too, because you have a lot of crazy, disparate, wonderful games, and I'm super into them. But I have a statement to say first instead of a question. Oh, okay. And I want to congratulate you on having perhaps the best Twitter bio I've ever seen. Oh, in, really? In terms of oh, just packing goodness. raw information into it. So you start off hot out the gate saying, I'm a polymath occultist. And I'm like inst- instantly like, okay, now this yeah. person has some story to tell. And then you talk about game design, being an addict for that, and an anime nerd. And yeah. then a scientist. Yeah. And then you say Black Lives Matter. Awesome. We'd love to see that. And then you have a call to action at the end of it where you say, punch Nazis. Yes. <laughs> and that, it, it fueled my soul. You know, I was like, yes, all these things. I mean, <laughs> I, I just feel like it's important to like, I, I Twitter is somewhat new to me. It is a mm-hmm. somewhat, like I, I got on Twitter many years ago, but I didn't actively engage with it until the last yeah. couple of months. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things if I'm like, I know this place can be a bit of a landmine field. I would rather people self-select to not engage with me rather than me have to be like, you are an awful human being and I would like nothing to do with you. That seems like a great way to just kind of upfront be like, I don't want to deal with you. And if I do deal with you, it may involve some sort of kinetic force colliding (laughs) with your skull. So (laughs) that's a chance you take, you know? (laughs) So what got you into game design? How did you transition from being a player to a, a maker? I started in on, I mean, I've, I've played with systems for years. I've been, I've been playing since I was a teenager, and that's adding up to probably too many years. It's probably closer to 25 <laughs> than I want it to be. But we'll just say over 20 right now and sure. go with that. But like... <laughs> I designed lots of little systems and little things and played around, you know, with stats. And I did some of my own homebrew stuff. But I came up with this idea for Vector Attack of the Meta Pirates Mm. one day. And when I came up with it and started building it, well, since it was meant to be essentially an adventure that could be part of any system, Mm. as it is sort of a meta system that attaches to other games... Right. I had to, I kind of taught myself to write rules for all different kinds of strange scenarios and very different ways. And so I think building that game taught me pretty much most of my mindset on uh, game design as I mm. took every rule and would flip it upside down and, and try it out like backwards and forwards and find new ways to approach uh the the medium of rpgs when i was reading through your games because of course i gotta do my due diligence i was intrigued about vector because you don't say that it's a game oh yeah 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 Yeah. 
No, that is uh, that is a part of the whole vector uh, thing. Is well, because because the essential hook of vector, I, mm -hmm. I could I could probably do most of it as let's see if I can do this from memory. So, <laughs> you know, warning: Vector Attack of the Meta Pirates is not a game supplement or campaign, but a mimetic virus. If mm -hmm. you introduce this to your game, it could travel and infect other games and affect you, your players and your world for the rest of your life, you have been warned. <laughs> and I say yeah. this because it's true. And because it's true, I would feel very wrong to not include this warning because of the nature of what Vector is. Mm. So the basic hook of Vector mm -hmm. uh, attack the meta pirates is Vector is a pirate. They are a meta pirate. They are an NPC in a role-playing game that is completely aware of being <laughs> an NPC in a role-playing game. As such, they realize that the only time they actually exist is when you're thinking about them. And so because of that, they will take action specifically to get you to think about them more and more if possible. And so obviously there's, there's some fun factor in this as you mm -hmm. get to have this strange kind of wacky fourth wall breaking character. But um, the whole campaign is structured that, well, first you have a little introduction and, mm -hmm. and Vector comes in. They maybe make some little comments here and there. They break the fourth wall once or twice. And then it, it might just have been a fun time and it just goes away. That's phase one. In phase two, he becomes a little more active. He returns. And they might come into other games that you're playing if your GM is that kind of person. <laughs> or if somebody else in the group happens to play a vector game because you will get meta-dimensional items. And those items will function in any vector game because they attach to the player, not to the character. And so as the game goes on, it kind of moves more, more and more towards, well, it, Vector is interacting with you. They're really not interacting with your character anymore after a while. And as the campaign progresses, their plan becomes more and more of, I am going to try and enter the real world or prevent the bad me from entering the real world because there's a little bit of a, a thing there. There may be multiple vectors running around just by the very nature of the character. So, yeah, so it's a very, yeah. uh, how can I put this? reality warping mind bending kind of uh rpg experience where sometimes there is a point where you start to go okay hold on am i am i speaking for this npc or am i in some way mildly possessed by some extra planar entity and that becomes that can become a very interesting place to play it so so that's that's kind of vector in a nutshell it's extremely high concept, which I love. It's rare to see that kind of stuff in, in game design. Why? <laughs> Why would you do this to somebody? <laughs> you know, it started off, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. I was, I'd had the idea for a while of the idea of a self-aware piece of fiction. And I'd, I'd thought about doing it in different mediums. I thought about the idea of doing it in movies. But I think what kicked it over... There was a supplement for a game about a flying ship that hmm. shows up in a setting. 
And he talks about, well, I don't have the setting for you, so you're just going to have to have a setting, and the ship's going to come in, and she's going to wreck it up. Like, it's just going <laughs> to blow some cities up and stuff on the way. And I was like, oh, that's really neat. Hmm. And I was like, what if instead of this ship invading this setting so you can run this adventure, if it's literally a ship that invades settings, something that travels between games in a sort of meta dimension that connects all role-playing games together. Right. And it took me a little while to figure out what the characters would be like. I'm like, well, they got to be a pirate. They have a ship. Mm -hmm. Pirate makes sense. They're a highly fluid and flexible character because their main traits are, well, they're a pirate and they wear red. And and they they have their ship that's the ex Corona and their pirates with them. But you know, if they're in a horror setting, they may be a skeleton pirate. Or if they go to the future, they may be a space pirate. Or you know, etc. Like that. Like they will adjust to whatever the setting is to kind of blend in. But it doesn't mean they're not them. <laughs> you have a few games that deal with horror as a concept. Oh yes. Uh, the Old Ways looks fantastic. The Old Ways is a randomized folk horror one-shot generator. Mm -hmm. There was a folk horror jam on uh, itch.io, and when that was going down, where, you know, a bunch of people make different folk horror games. Yep. Uh, at the time, I was uh, quarantined, and I had lots of time to work on it. So I hit the point where I think I, think I worried my roommates. They were just like, okay, you literally wrote, like, from the moment you got up to the moment you went to bed and just <laughs> ate meals in between and then went back to writing. I was like, but it's got to be good. So the old ways, the randomized elements come in and that the, the basic game is you'll be playing a group of characters. They're very hyper simple to play and you will be entering some form of a community in a very likely remote in some way or other location. Now, the thing is, is all the aspects of that community, where that place is, how you enter it, like a horror film. It's, you never know the ride you're going to get because you will get like a little tiny piece of information like, oh, okay, um, your characters are, they're, they're, they've been taking a road trip and they're running out of gas and they just end up in this place. You know, like, okay, they just got lost. And, you know, for some reason they have to be here for a little bit. And, you know, so that might be one of the ways it starts. But in another case, it's specifically, oh, you've just bought a new house in a place that's really cheap and it's off the map. And you're a bunch of different people who would enjoy a more rural atmosphere, but you just haven't met the locals yet. And <laughs> so in each of these cases, in, e in any of these cases, there'll be a community. The community will have a threshold to it. Now, the threshold has three different uh, aspects that'll go in. There's suspicion, outsider, and seduction. And those are on your character. These are some of the only stats you have beyond you get two advantages and one disadvantage when you start the game to kind of give you a little bit of variation. But as you play the game, you will have these traits grow and you don't know where the threshold is. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is until your suspicion hits the threshold, you can't leave the scenario. It, You know that point at the movie where you're just like almost screaming at the screen like, no, you need to go and you throw popcorn at it. Mm -hmm. 
this is kind of what it's simulating. It's the whole thing of, you know, something ain't quite right, but you're not at the point where you think you've fallen off the map into Mm. horror movie land. So you're like, my suspicion's growing, but I haven't yet had something. Now, as as Game Master, you might adjudicate, like, they literally just saw somebody get murdered in the streets. Okay, we're at a <laughs> point where I'll let your suspicion just hit threshold and you can all start leaving. But if it hasn't gotten there yet, you kind of have to go along with things. And so some of the fun I've found with that is that it causes a sense of suspense because you know these things are growing. But some games... The townsfolk are particularly surly and you'll hit threshold four and suddenly, oh, I hit outsider four. I probably find, nope, you're not because somebody just got kidnapped and disappeared. You just don't know. It's the same thing with, with any of the stats. As they grow, you know you are getting closer and closer to where things are going to go wrong and go off the map. And once they do, you hit the phase where you have to make the decisions of whether you're going to try and escape or try to find a way to fight and overcome the community, which is hard because it's a community. Right. The, the combat rules in it are really, um, they're really pretty brutal and simple because uh, folk horror as a genre is very down to earth in its violence. And one of those, you have a gun, the other person doesn't. You don't have to roll anything. That person's going to go down. Right. Uh, the exception and then but they have numbers so there's a chart that kind of gives the your amount of force you can bring compared to the numbers and force they're bringing Mm. and when it becomes well they have an advantage now you're gonna have to roll to see whether they get hurt or you get hurt or whatever else is gonna happen the other case is when a monstrosity comes up and this is one of the things that can be randomized. Uh, in the like original book, there's six different monstrosities. There's the zealot, uh, the enchanter, uh, the sorcerer. There's the supernatural horror. There is the omniscient horror. And then I think the final category is actually... Uh, the mixed category where you have more than one (laughs) and that's of course so you can get a scenario where it's going to be much harder because there are a few where um because it's it's all randomized you don't know what you're going to get so some villages it's like well they're only going to use hand-to-hand combat to take people down they like grab people you know or they try to punch them where you can get a town where every town member is considered a monstrosity and every fight is going to be a fight for your life. So you're mm-hmm. going to need to think of ways to not <laughs> get yeah. too many scuffles because combat's pretty pretty shocking and deadly. Uh, now, uh, thankfully, it's a one-shot machine. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you die, um, you know, no big deal. It's not like, okay, well, we weren't going to be playing this next week anyway. Like, ah, you just you just didn't make it. But it tends to produce a very um, horror game, well, horror movie kind of aesthetic by the end of it. The games I've run of it so far, everybody's hot, died horribly. But <laughs> the only people rolling are the players. Okay. So ultimately, I only have so much control. I can tell them what's there. But if they roll really poorly, it's like, well, that's what happened, you know, yeah. uh, so you mentioned that character death is always on the table because it's a one shot and it's yeah. a, it's a horror it's, one shot. So it's a horror one shot and and the thing is is that like like I said like violence is generally in your favor. Mm-hmm. Uh the monstrosities though are kind of 
the big bad that happens to be in any particular community. Uh, the, the most like down to earth one is the zealot. It's not necessarily that there's any kind of supernatural thing going on in this town. It's that somebody's got them all basically whipped into some kind of frenzy and it's their beliefs and that's their own uh, inhumanity to man that leads mm. towards the bad things happening, which is a theme in most folk horror. Sure. Um, and specifically in the old ways, uh, the actions are very reflective of the fact of like, half of them are tradition type actions that are kind of rooted in doing things quote unquote the old ways while the other half are kind of the progressive actions which have names like big city bravado or uh what's the other one there uh modern know-how hmm. things like that so it, there's definitely a modern versus old kind of thing going on there as well you also have a supplement. You have a few supplements for this game. Yeah, I do have a few mm -hmm. supplements. Uh, one of them's free because after having a character death in the game come pretty early on, mm. I realized oh, you could, you know, you could get kind of bored. Mm. And so Beyond Death was built specifically of, well, if you want to keep playing, even though your character is dead, uh, the next time it gets around to when your turn would have been, you, you roll a dice and there is a list of different options of how you can enter into the narrative. And I don't mind spoiling it, because like I said, I made this as a free supplement because I realized this was a gap in the game design and I really wanted people to have the most positive experience they could with a game of getting killed horribly yeah. by monsters. But like, <laughs> so uh, you could have the option of being a traitor to the folk, a local that decides to help people out, but you kind of have options on them to well, what is your mood? Do you feel like harming your fellow players and making it a little harder? Or are you going to give them that nudge to get across the finish line? And you have options to kind of go either way, depending on, on how you're feeling. If you're feeling uh, more or less, I guess, vindictive about what would make a better horror scenario for things. But yeah, there's uh, kind of playing a uh, martyrous character, somebody who's like that kind of wandering Ahab like a good guy who is helpful but you can tell they're the kind of person that's going to bring you down with them in the end if you if you get too close because they're a little too extreme uh you can play I think that I think the most interesting is that you can play a uh basically play cinematic force so you can just be like okay I'm just going to cause this item to show up that you guys need or here's a little highlight of a way out little little things like that so you kind of become GM too but you have to roll to see what actions you get. That's so cool. I like the way that you dealt with a very common problem in a lot of modern horror, the cell phone problem. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. So, so bad signals. That was for another uh, jam. I think that I'm trying to remember what it was called, but the theme for it was frequency. It was mm -hmm. supposed to be horror based stuff. So I was like, okay, what do I got? Frequency, frequency. And I was like, you know what? I just want to approach cell phones. Mm -hmm. uh, so bad signal is all about finding ways to use address and potentially subvert the cell phone. Cause I mean, ultimately it is, I, I say it and I mean it, it is like the device that can most kill a horror scenario in a moment yes. because you know, it's it's very easy to be like, okay, this is a game of rural horror. Not every place has 100% coverage. Okay, sure. You can just go with the tried and true. They're like, I try calling on my cell phone. Well, you don't have signal. But I wanted more options because I was like, well, 
you could start making it so they don't want to start using their cell phone. Mm-hmm. So there's things like, okay, what is the town's attitude towards cell phones? Are they for them? Are they against them? They do the believe that the 5G is going to give them the coronavirus like <laughs> on a certain level. You know, what, what is going through their head? And so they may have a very negative opinion or it could be very positive, but positive to the point where they're suddenly in front of you or trying to steal your phone or, hmm. you know, interacting with you a little more closely than you might like. So there's some variations on that. And then there's variations of, well, what if the supernatural force comes through the telephone in some ways? Mm. What if you start getting strange haunted signals or it starts causing you problems? And there is one, there is a specific horror in there, uh, a monstrosity that is not on a chart, but it's just there of basically a uh, cell signal that possesses people and turns them into kind of a screeching strange dial-up horror and in some cases it's just like a living phone that is like just doing things to mess with people so a lot of ways in which it's like yes yes the ultimate ally the ultimate teacher the ultimate nanny might betray you (laughs) it's brilliant that what a a good way to handle that and the fact that you have such different approaches to make use of cell phones because every modern horror has to account whether it's like you said, oh, we don't get signal, or oh, the battery's dead because the ghost drained the battery power or something. Yeah. Uh, but to make it more of an active factor in the game, it, it's it's good design. Like, that's that's all you can say about it. It's just good design. I touched about this really briefly earlier. Your games are extremely disparate in terms of their tone, their their setting, all that. So, yeah. But I noticed one thread that seemed to come back through a few of your games, okay. and that is of communities rejecting the player huh so old no, ways, have to look and, and and pay attention but yeah no there's there's definitely i think mm-hmm. you might have something go ahead go <laughs> sure. go off so you have the old ways you know folk horror very much you know what it says in the can it's you, you go into the village the village rejects you because you're an outsider you have two die monster uh two die monster heroes which is it turns the fantasy trope on its head where the monsters are trying to save themselves from being slaughtered outright right and then you have the dark lord that's working to protect them from the adventurers and those that would basically um use their labor for their own gain yeah and then you have bittersweets which you have candy gremlins who are not they represent some candy that isn't popular and so they're jailed separated physically from the community and they have to escape the jail to go play so this recurrence of theme it makes me think this might be important to you on some level you know, I, okay, so definitely I would say that I have a preference towards those who are demonized or outcast as being protagonist in various games because, mm-hmm. you know, let, let's be honest, whether it be because of having any kind of, any kind of marginalized sort of status could put you on the outside of things. But Mm -hmm. to be fair, I feel like in a certain way, paying attention to just outsider status, like we're all better off together. We should all be working together and seeing each other. Like, I hate saying there's just the crossover between the communities. Like, well, okay, these kind of geeks could get along with these kind of geeks. And okay, well, for some reason, we're out on the fringe of what the norm of society is. And so you start running into the people who might belong to uh, sexual minorities and, you know, uh, religious minorities. 
uh, racial just there's a certain level to which you know like what the mainstream tries to reject Mm -hmm. on a certain level i'm like okay cool this is something that we need to clasp hands and unite because okay we might be rejected but we're all people still we all have you know worth Mm -hmm. um so I, I definitely have some of that with, I, I, oddly enough, I think it's almost like <laughs> strangely incidental with the old ways kind of matching up with Two Die Monster Heroes. So Two Die Monster Heroes, uh, and then we're going to start, we'll be talking about this genre some more. This is very much a, an isekai type adventure. Mm-hmm. And so it, this is a game that I designed somewhat specifically as a bit of a love letter for friends. Um, I had no money. It was the holidays. And so I designed this game specifically so I could make really cool custom character sheets for a bunch of my friends and family. Hmm. Um, that was that was my main motivation on making it. But the other thing I'd really wanted to do is... Uh, people have been talking a lot lately about Dungeons and Dragons having a very colonialist kind of approach. You're kind of raiding places. And when you think about it, depending on the adventure, some it's like, okay, no, you're you're dealing with an ancient curse. These people are dead. Mm-hmm. There just happens to be treasure here in these tombs or wherever else. And I mean, yeah, you're a grave robber, but they're not exactly using it. Right. And it, it might be one of the, and that's not necessarily good, but, but you know, it might not be all bad, but you get to a lot of stuff where it's kind of like, well, okay, these sentient other beings are considered vermin and they're mm-hmm. paying you money to exterminate them. And I'm like, yeah. These are creatures with languages, with feelings, with lives. Mm-hmm. And it's that whole thing of, you know, once again, to that term demonized or, you know, whatever. It's that whole thing of, okay, what if these are just creatures living under the stereotypes of an outside force who, you know, because they don't speak the same language, because they don't see the same struggles they go through doesn't understand where they're coming from and so then reacts in ways that are very poor so with two die monster heroes and then then kind of going back to this is not meant for me to be ripping on D, but it's just me seeing things that i was like okay this is a good mechanic to flip on its head in D, a lot of times you're gaining your power by murdering other things and getting money mm-hmm. It's like, all right, murder and money. It's pretty gangster. Like, it's not necessarily <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is how it is. And so I thought to myself, well, okay, these are monsters. And you play a human being who gets basically teleported to another world when somebody prays at a shrine to Echidna, the mother of monsters, for someone to help them. And so you come into this world and you're another monster now but you get two cheater powers and your cheater powers can be basically whatever the GM feels like giving you. Mm. Um, That'll give you some kind of advantage to be able to like overcome uh, the odds in this world. But when it comes to your leveling mechanics, uh, once you start engaging with this world and trying to stop this very strange, you know, fascist regime, who's, kind of scapegoating all the problems of the kingdom onto the monsters that have been essentially driven underground into dungeons that it's, I mean, it's, it's basically one of those like, okay, they've been pushed so far. They've quite literally gone underground because Mm. that's a place where they can kind of be safe and like not interact with the, you know, day people 
when you're there to work with them, you don't level up by killing things. You level up by building community. So when you defend others, like your fellow monsters, if you help build something, if you help teach them things, if you help improve their lives, that's how you level up in the game. Hmm. And so it's that whole thing of rather than it being a game of finding conquest and trying to just overcome things it's a game about ensuring that these people who have been oppressed and treated poorly that you give them assistance to do better now there is still some like things even there that, that kind of get problematic because there is kind of an outsider savior complex that, right, right that can that has its own issues but overall, I'm like, well, if you're playing the game and you're doing this and you're really engaging with it, it should never feel like, okay, I'm the important person and this community is mine. It's okay, I'm engaging with it and helping it and maybe even learning to identify with it and see how do I guess identify with, with a culture that is oppressed and being, and being treated poorly and therefore kind of working to, to make things better by making those connections. And that's that's basically it. It's like you're using your hero privilege to uplift or help them save themselves in a in a perfect game. Kind of, kind of, yeah. Like yeah. in a in a perfect game, there's there's a lot of like complications because it's you know, it, and I mean, like it's still a game, and mm -hmm. there's still that whole kind of level of like, okay, like strategy is going to come into it. You have a literal force of invaders oppressing these people. Mm -hmm. You have people who are essentially refugees moving through trying to find dungeons where they can be safe because they've been driven back from further things it's a it's a very dire wartime scenario and so like okay how do you raise these people up to where mm. they can fight back or survive and then how do you not only fight back against these oppressors but find a way to educate people along the way to realize that this way of living is not okay and that uh things can't continue like this because it's wrong so right. i i feel like it's 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 a lot of its attitude and seeing how you engage with it and i think if you come at it realizing okay this is about me being part of this group how do i help how do i fit in and without putting myself over them right you know yeah like you might be kind of in charge by dint of having enough power to be in charge kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. and one of those well yes i can help more because i can do x y and z because my character sheet says so but you know i think i think there's something to uh, honest engagement because you have to help the various communities you come across like get there because uh, one of the other advanced mechanics is by like helping build new levels to the dungeons the dungeons themselves level up and therefore all the monsters in them get stronger by <laughs> like improving their living quarters essentially oh, nice nice so. so your most recent game the one that you're working on currently yes trash mob now trash it has, mob it has an exclamation point Am I supposed yep. to shout the name like Morkborg or Bulldogs? Like, I mean, if you want to shout it, I'm okay with it. Trash Mob. I, I don't know. I usually kind of think like it, it. kind of it's a little <laughs> bit excited. Um, yeah, no, Trash Mob has been. This is one of the like different inspirations come across different ways, and Trash mm -hmm. Mob was one of the like strike like lightning. Like, oh no, I need to write this game because I want to play this game. 
so Trash Mob is another Isekai game, and it's also another monster game. It's kind of like Two Die Monster Heroes, but sort of almost takes the opposite stance. In Two Die Monster Heroes, you're showing up into a monster community with a whole bunch of extra power, and they're oppressed, and you're trying to save them. This game is a bit more of a survival game. The start of the game is you literally have died. You were in some sort of real-type world, and you are reincarnated as a relatively weak monster in a dangerous environment in this new world. (laughs) And kind of from there, go. The way it's being set up, it is going to be uh, playable in as a solo RPG. So okay. you can play by yourself. You can also be a team and do it without a GM if you want, because the solo mechanics kind of allow for that. And it will also have some guidelines for, but if you want to do it a traditional GM game, that's also totally possible. Mm-hmm. When you start the game, and I mean, mind you, especially with solo games, I'm like, listen, if if you don't like what you roll or a thing, I mean, you're the only one judging yourself. You can fudge it if you want. You'll know (laughs) because you're also, you're not only the player, you're also the GM. You'll Mm -hmm. know, but I mean, you know, you might, you might roll some monster type you don't like and decide, ah, I'm going to do something else. But for the start of the game, Uh, There's only a couple different decisions you make. You pick out kind of what your job, class, profession was. Basically just a descriptor for what you did in your former life. I've been doing a test game with someone that is, uh, we're playing like 80s punks. And so then you roll on the chart and there's four broad categories you can get to. By the way, this whole game's played with die four. Why? I don't know. It just felt right, honestly. but. You get four kind of broad categories. There's vermin, domestics, the undead, and then small humanoids. And those are your four different starters you can get. And then each of those has four more categories in them for what specific kind of uh, vermin or small humanoid or whatever you, you, you get to play. And so all of them get one common ability for their category. All the vermin are able to sneak. All the domestic animals get charmed because they're the ones that are least likely to get killed by humans because they're the animals human beings are used to dealing with. Mm -hmm. All the undead get a skill called on living so they don't have to really eat or breathe or any of that stuff, but people Mm. really don't like them. And (laughs) then the last category for small humans, uh, small humanoids, is you get humanoid which gives you the incredible power of opposable thumbs and being able to build things and talk like pretty, pretty intense abilities there. (laughs) Like they serious, like I, it may sound like I'm kidding, but really once you've played the game, you may be like, Oh man, I cannot diplomacy because I don't have any skills that let me. Well, I guess it's going to be a fight or a runaway. Like that's Hmm. kind of a thing that can happen there. The various areas you happen to be in uh, are kind of like, I would almost say they're sort of mega dungeon-like, mm. although they're not necessarily a dungeon environment. The four base ones that start off, there's one that is essentially the Great Labyrinth, which is a big traditional mega dungeon underground kind of thing. Uh, one of them is the vast wilderness, basically the untamed forest and mountain type region where, oh yeah, nobody goes out here and there are really big monsters out here. Uh, The third one is a demon city where, 
hey, it's it's this big, scary, civilized place. And well, you're a lot more likely to run into monsters that have intelligence. So uh, you get the good and bad of that. And then uh, the last one is, uh, I think it's the Barren Wastes. And the Barren Wastes is like a place where there's just not as much food and water and things mm-hmm. are more hazardous uh, to, to kind of get around. And so essentially as you play the game, it's very exploration based. Uh, you get your character, you figure out what your, your starter zone is. It's always a safe spot where you're actually able to rest without a lot of issues. And so then you roll dice for exploring. So you see how many places you can go from where you're at. And then you roll to see what those places are gonna be. Sometimes it's enemies. Sometimes it's uh, resources that you might need. Sometimes it's hazards. And the last one is the plot twists. And plot twists are more interesting areas and potential encounters that sort of drive the plot forward. Mm -hmm. So eventually going around in this environment, you're probably gonna happen across human adventurers. And depending on the human adventurers you meet, which are also randomly generated, <laughs> could be a really good experience, could be a really bad experience, could be a little of both. It just it kind of depends on uh, what you do and how you approach things. Hmm. And uh, I know how, like, you know, a lot of games, I feel like a lot of your um, agency is rooted in how you build your character, right? Hmm. This game has a little less of that, but a lot more of your agency comes in and that you literally get to decide where you're going and what you're doing all the time and get to decide how you want to try and overcome things. Mm -hmm. Um, There's rules for grinding and there are rules (laughs) for um, time skips. So as as it's a very video game-like world, you could literally sit and start practicing a skill over and over again to get it up. Uh, (laughs) In the uh, Desert Punk Gremlin game, uh, a lightning elemental, like these little lightning sprites, we trapped one in a helmet and we sat there letting ourselves get shocked over and over again to build up lightning resistance. (laughs) (laughs) So like you can do things like that. You can come up with schemes Mm. and uh, if you can come up with a good scheme and once again, you're the only GM there to to judge yourself half the time. So you can be like, well, okay, I think I can apply these skills to this problem. So I'll get more bonus dice to it and be more likely to overcome it. Uh, In the course of the game, essentially your eventual ending is going to be, well, you're going to end up fairly powerful. You might beat some kind of raid boss. That's the big bad of the whole dungeon and you'll probably escape. And then from there, uh, that's kind of where the game ends. However, Mm. there's a lot that can happen in the meantime, there's a lot of places you can go. And as a uh, kind of additional note on that, there will be an expansion to this game mm-hmm. uh, coming out later. I believe it's working title right now is Peaceful Lands and Deadly Schemes. And so post getting out of this dungeon and being an incredibly overpowered like isekai super monster in the peaceful lands from there on it's going to be well okay now that you have this power how do you fit in the in the world around you and what do you do with it and so that'll be kind of a uh, expansion to the game to play after you've already made this wildly powerful character and done all these big amazing things 
I would be remiss for a lot of our listeners out there if I didn't ask you to define the term isekai. Oh, isekai. I'll say it's, it's a very simple term. It just mm-hmm. means uh, other world. It is a mm-hmm. genre. Um, it is anime genre, but honestly, you'll see examples of it outside of uh, anime all the time. It is the idea of normal people from a modern, regular Earth going to an other world uh, or a fantasy world of some type. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, anime isekai is often very video gamey and very mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons modern fantasy. But as a genre, you could even count things like chronicles of narnia the movie labyrinth um yeah. you know things like that there's plenty Back to the of... future <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be stretching it a little far <laughs> since they don't go to another world they go to the past that's fair okay you win this time all right so now i have a better idea i've, I've seen that example of billions of times in media i just never yeah. heard that term so thank you uh, okay yeah thank you I, I highly recommend uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime and also So I'm a Spider, So What? Those are like the two main inspirations <laughs> for this. Not okay. going to lie. So my last formal question for you tonight is what's something you wish I had asked you about that we hadn't gotten to yet? You know, I don't know why. I think it's because you brought up the whole uh, thing of uh, communities mm. and, and having to deal with them. But I almost... I almost wish you'd you I th- like I was like oh what game are they gonna mention and for mm-hmm. a second I thought it was going to be the Living Planets game. Yes, I almost did bring that up, but I was like, uh, it feels yeah. like a fringe example of it. What I was going for, but yeah, maybe tell me maybe. more. Tell me more. Oh, I mean, yeah. okay. So that game this this was another jam thing. Like I got addicted to game jams and just started cranking out games because like I got a cool idea. Okay, cool. I'll make this game and I'll I'll write it in a weekend as fast as I can and give it a cool cover. Done. With uh Living Planets, it's a journaling game, but it's a group game. So you once again random generation. I use a lot of random generation because it's a great way to supplement your creativity when it's running low. Mm -hmm. So these basically space arcs Uh, are holding mankind our planet is dying it's bad we need a new place to live and so they go out to these planets only to find out many of them are living in some way so you head to the planet and it will have a somewhat randomized uh temperature atmosphere different resources on it etc so it has Mm -hmm. its geophysical makeup and you're playing terraformers so your job is to get it so this is a human habitable planet, which means bring it, bringing it to a more Earth-like atmosphere. However, unbeknownst to these brave terraformers, is that the planet itself is alive in some way or another. So you roll to get the planet's personality and its capabilities. And so depending on, and, and, and depending on like, okay, how it is built, you have to then try and figure out how you engage with this planet because Mm. it becomes a case of, well, you aren't really in a state of reciprocity with this place. You've come here, once again, kind of these whole kind of colonialist themes. You came Mm -hmm. here thinking you could just take this, but this has an opinion of its own on whether you get to live there. And so some planets are very childlike where they're just like, we, I'll just... You know, like, I made a mountain, look. And they're like, ah, oh God, they just made a mountain. (laughs) And then you have others that are like voracious predators that are like, yeah, I'm just going to eat the people that come down here. (laughs) In which case, 
you may need to find a way to, it may move away from being diplomacy and it may move to a bit more of a desperate attempt to fight a highly powerful entity to make sure everybody doesn't die when they hit the surface. Uh, and then some are like, you know, like there's one that's like basically the the almost old planet, old lady. Like, you think you're the first sentient life I've had on me? Okay, listen, whippersnapper, this is how <laughs> it's going to go. And we'll be very blunt about their needs and, and what's going on and how to engage with them. And they also get randomized powers. So some planets are scarier than others. The leveling mechanic for this game is different than a lot of games because uh, your characters don't really level in any way. But it is a little bit on the, maybe not a one shot, but maybe a two to three shot, I would think, like playing through. And when you've played at the end of the game, you journal everything. Your journals are considered an in-character asset because you've been broadcasting them out to other arcs. So any inventions you created during the game, they now have the blueprints for and they can create them. Any weird incidents that happen with the planet, they're aware of happening. So even if you all die terribly, which is <laughs> totally possible, if you came up with some things on the way, those warnings are in place for other terraformers as they get to go, oh, oh, okay, they didn't make it all right, well, they got these devices. Let's get these ready. Oh, this, we don't know that our planet's going to be alive. Yeah, but we don't know it's not going to be, or they could run into these different problems. So it kind of is a game that creates its own continuity and slowly builds its own little universe. That's such an intriguing premise for a game. And I can see why you thought I would be bringing that up earlier when I talked about community and reject, being rejected from the whole. I mean, literally, it's a, it's a planet. It, it doesn't get any more yep. holistic than that. <laughs> Not much. Not huh. much. And at the same time, you're creating a community with your fellow terraformers by sharing that experience and, and sharing your knowledge and experiences. <laughs> okay, I know what I'm playing today. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for spending some Thank time with so me. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Hey folks, it's Nate. Your dungeon master, your host, and your high school crush that reconnects with you later in life and tells you they always thought you were cute and were just waiting for you to make the first move. Thanks for listening. If you want to dive into the divine madness that is Mother Multiverse's itch.io page, follow the link in the show notes. Melody has put out a ton of stuff, and as you can hopefully tell from the interview, I'm a huge fan. As always, you can support the Pot of Blunders in a variety of ways. From joining our Patreon to leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or just like tell everyone you know about us so we can grow our audience. And I mean like everyone. Dog walkers, dentists, that creepy dude at the bus stop. Okay, not that guy. That guy squigs me out. No, he, he can't come to the party. However you can support us, we really appreciate it. Once again, thank you guys for listening. For the Pot of Blunders, I've been Nate Magnuski, and as always, may all your Ds be 12s. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.